Hi, this is Regeline Sabat, also known as Gigi. You're listening to Walk With Me podcast. My guest today is Laura Cobb. Laura Cobb is a nationally certified, licensed professional counselor and empowerment coach. Welcome to the show, Laura. Hi, so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Likewise, it's an honor to have you here today. Now, why don't you start off by telling us more about you and where you are from? I'm from Chicago. Yes, Chai Chai Town. I've lived here for most of my life, except for eight years when I lived in Germany and about six years when I lived in Indiana, pursuing my doctorate in, at uh, West Lafayette, Indiana. I am a life coach and empowerment coach for women, actually, for high achieving women um, looking for their purpose so that they show up in every boardroom, classroom, and bedroom authentically and equally dominant in a sense that they own their voice, that they are craving to be heard, that they represent themselves and present themselves consistently in every fashion of their life. I'm also a licensed professional counselor and I work primarily with couples, individuals, and in groups, I do group work as well. I love it. What inspired you to become an empowerment coach? Well, well empowered people empower people. And for most of my life, I did not feel empowered. I felt actually so much out of power that I felt like I was out of control. So um, after I earned my second master's in counseling and personnel services, I completely spiraled out of control and I needed to gain some semblance of power back in my life. And when I did that, when I, so to speak, crossed over to the other side, when I realized that I had the power in me the entire time that I was able, and I'm able to now, able to offer women the ability to find that power within themselves. I guess it's like um, the way I work with my clients now is is that I'm Glenda and they're Dorothy. That they always had the power, they just don't realize it. And I'm the vessel that helps them achieve that. That is absolutely amazing. Now, tell us more about the major challenges that you had to overcome in your life. <sighs> well, well um, I lived a pretty much privileged life, relatively speaking, although I think it's Brene Brown who says that Comparison is the bane of existence, and it's the the um, the bane of joy. And in hindsight, I felt very unseen as a child, bullied a lot, and I became a bully uh, as a result of that, feeling out of control, no power. So I tried to gain that power back in some semblance, in any semblance I had. I was called fat and ugly for about the first fifteen years of my life. My sister was the prom queen, and um, I was the typical, or I should say the um, archetype of the redheaded stepchild, although I had great braces, glasses, and freckles at the same time. When I went off to college, I finally found that I could be seen in a way that nobody else in my family could, meaning I got addicted to school, literally. I was good at it. And I knew I was good at school initially when I was young. I didn't apply myself in the way that I could have, and I, I don't like to shit on anyone, including myself things turn out the way they needed to. So when I got to college, I excelled and I excelled and I excelled and I stayed in college and in hindsight, because I was afraid to grow up. I was afraid to be seen in the world. And it's interesting that all I wanted to do was be seen. And I was so afraid to be seen because I didn't know how to live. Think of a 28 year old earning her PhD. She walks across, I work across the stage and the dean says, as she shakes my hand, congratulations, Dr. Cobb. And I'm all like, what? Oh, you're talking to me? And for about 15 seconds, yes, I did it. And about the 16th second, when I sat down in the chair and I looked at all these other doctors and I said, where's the parade? Was that it? 
So the journey I realized it felt like was worthless at the, in the moment. And I was focused so much on the goal and the goal was like a, an achiever's curse. Every subsequent accolade promotion and that this continued down into my, my, my professional career as well. Every additional scholarship degree, it didn't matter. It was like a goal that was there and I didn't enjoy the journey. I was vacant for my life. Absolutely inspiring. And tell us more about the journey of how you shifted your mindset from a negative mindset to a positive mindset in that moment. In that moment, I, it was just another another opportunity to find something else that I was striving to fill that hole. I think, I don't know who said it, it's a hole in the soul and nobody knew. Everybody looked on paper and they saw me as this big achiever and I thought they don't know, how can I, I felt like an imposter. I was afraid to be found out. and. For the most part, at the time, it was like I was an imposter. That all other things besides the paperwork, where I could I could provide documentation that I deserved everything that I got, everything that I worked for, and inside I felt so low and so little. And finally, once I achieved everything I ever wanted to professionally, academically, I after I lived in Germany for eight years, I was affiliated with the US military and I worked for a program called Family Advocacy. We oversaw the US, the European footprint for domestic violence and child abuse and sexual assault. I was finally able to have a baby. And that was the epitome of the, the, the epic of finally. And what happened was, is that I had a complete and utter breakdown. I thought, is this all there is? And so that moment after I ended up divorced, last custody of my son and homeless is this all there is and my mind shift shifted when i was finally able to ask for help i'm so good at offering help to others because i'm a pleaser what can i do to help what can i do to serve because service is my purpose my purpose is to serve because when i do well for others it fills me up to almost to the extent pretty much to the extent where i keep giving and giving and giving and my cup is empty and i have nothing else to give or I become irritated when others don't reciprocate. And they don't even know that they're part of the equation. They don't even know they're in the game. And that's not helpful. And I remember, I remember hearing Brene Brown on Oprah when she said something to the effect of the audacity and the arrogance of an, someone who loves to help and volunteer and serve, yet they do not ask for help. Meaning that the joy that I received and that I was able to cultivate by being of service. I was depriving others, like a thief. I was stealing others of the same joy that I derived from serving in that position. And moreover, and this was the, this is what really got me, and I had to do some serious soul searching about this. What does it say about me as a person who loves to serve and I don't ask for help, meaning unconsciously, do I hold an individual who asks for help in some form of contempt? Because if I don't ask for help and I feel terrible about me for asking that I'm weak, what does that say about what I really feel underneath about them asking for help? And that hurt me so bad. That, that shook me, acknowledging that no one else was doing anything to me, sabotaging myself in a way that finally I was tired of sleeping on the Chicago streets with the rats. And things got better and better and better and this mentality of how do I keep 
sabotaging myself. This is not helpful. If I'm a tasker, okay, I do so much. I, I'm so busy, but I'm not productive. Okay, that mind shift that shifted. I'm a high achiever. It doesn't mean anything. That's what I do and did. That's not who I am. And a pleaser to the extent that I give to others, but I don't please to myself. And I think growing up, it was more of what can you do to serve others at the detriment of being, I'm, I feel like a martyr almost. Look at me. And um, it came to a point where I said, I need me right now first. I have to, because if I'm going to make a change in my life and have any opportunity to make a change in somebody else's life or to be of service so they can make a change in their life, then I need to take a one down. And I stopped, I stopped kneeling. And today I refuse to kneel when I refuse to stand when anyone is forced to kneel because I offer my hand up and help rise up. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be on a cold stone slab and say, is this all there is? You've got to be kidding me. I can't do this anymore. And then I used to wake up in the morning and say, good God morning. And today I wake up saying, good morning, God. Amen. Amen. Very powerful. And such an important message that you shared there. Ask for help. Ask for help. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now, can you tell us more about your experience as the former president of the European branch of the American Counseling Association? Great question. That was another role that I held as a volunteer. I had a board of governors. We all, I mean, we're all on the same team. Like, um, it was in addition to, it was, I just graduated from Purdue, I earned my doctorate, and I was in a, a second master's. While I, was, while I was working on my doctorate, I decided to start a second master's in counseling. Who does that? So uh, I thought, yeah, I'm working full time. I think, I'll, I think, yeah, they need help. Sure, I'll be the president of the year. So um, yeah, I accepted that. Every single year that I was the either the president-elect or the president or the past president, I uh, got the flu at the conference because I was working full time and my then husband, when he, he was deployed to Iraq while I was living in Germany and I didn't, I didn't fit in with the spouses. He was a little older than me and, and my cohort, they were officers, wives. And so they had children and I didn't and very different in terms of how I fit in. So I needed something to fill my time because there's no way I could be. I wasn't a human being. I was a human doing. And that was my sense of self-worth is that if I'm doing and I'm productive, because I was productive at, the, at that time. At the same time, I was literally imploding. Nobody knew behind the scenes I was struggling and suffering with an eating disorder that was killing me, killing me. And every form that you could imagine with an eating disorder. It wasn't just anorexia or bulimia. It was every form that you could possibly think, think of. And I, I was holding myself in contempt. And if there was a moment of silence, I couldn't deal with that. I remember one time I was um, taking a course in the counseling program. It was an online course. It was on Zen Buddhism. And I thought, I'm going to go out and meditate. That's right. I'm going to go out to the field. I'm going to go out on the hill and I'm going to meditate. So I got there and I'm all, what's happening? Let's, let's do something. Let's make it happen. And I remember the bees buzzing around and then the flies coming around. I was just judging the bees and the, and the flies. And it dawned on me in a moment, I thought, bees buzz, flies fly. How could I possibly hold something in contempt 
that that's their true nature. If I'm a human being and I can't be, that's supposed to be my nature. And I couldn't do that. I had to nurture and it wasn't even nurture. I had to nurture. We, 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 we nurture children. It's not their nature, their inherent nature. Human beings, it's our inherent nature is that we're of worth. Human doings, that means I have to nurture, I have to do and, and, and create. And, and it was just, there was a sick, sick, sick mentality. So I couldn't even sit to, to meditate because I'm like, all right, I'm meditating now. I'm meditating. Not helpful. So the mentality at that time is that there's just one other thing that's on my resume. It gets me in the door, but it's quite indicative of all the stuff that I had to have because I was so little inside. Very powerful. Now, what is your best advice to the audience for walking with purpose and living a life of happiness? God, that's such a great question. Well, I don't like the advice word because it's an A word and I really try not to shit on people. At the same time, I... As a previous marathon runner, in addition to my professional career, in addition to holding all these volunteer roles, because you can see the running, 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 it was for the goal at the time. And then I'd achieve the goal. And I, is that all there is? It's like that achievers curse. It's a fleeting moment of yes. And then, okay. And I missed the entire process. I missed the journey. A marathon life is like a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I was really good at the sprinting in my academic and my professional career. And at the same time, I just wanted to get it done and get it done and get it done. And then I realized that I just missed out on the whole, the whole, the whole joy of the journey and the process. That's where the sauce is at. And I understand the mentality, at least with the American culture, for the most part is that, you know, the, the capitalist, uh, the achieve, get, do, not just be, and then to take a step back and say, wow, I'm really enjoying this conversation right now. I was not willing. I allowed myself to isolate and still be seen and not take the time to engage in conversation. I didn't have time for that. Um, to foster new relationships, to nurture existing relationships and it was a sad lonely world and nobody knew and at the same time it fed my false ego to say i'm enough because i wasn't so my advice is to enjoy the ride because when that 15th second is up and that 16th second comes are you a thief are you a provider are you a lighthouse for someone who's struggling in the storm and they don't know where to go. And so be that beacon of light and use your struggle, use your journey that your light shines in you now because of everything that you've been through, everything that you've gone through allows you to be that light for one to come to you. That's the thing about it. I don't want to be the star. I want to be on the team with others who are shining because then I can shine in their rays don't need to be number one. I want to be a part of the team because there's when there's more hands, more fingers and more support, then there's an opportunity for everyone to rise up. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Laurel. Now, where can the audience find you? I am on LinkedIn for sure. You can just go uh, look in LinkedIn in the search engine, just Dr. Laura Cobb. That's D-R, Laura Cobb. My website is under construction and I'm so excited about all the programs and the free gifts I get to offer everybody. So when you get a chance, 
talk to me on LinkedIn and I will send you there as soon as possible. And if you want the free offers um, soon enough, if you want to show up more in your life and find out what your purpose is, now is the time to find out what your purpose is. Why wait? Why wait any second longer? Don't miss out on your life and don't wait for that 16th second. Enjoy the first and the second and the third all through the duration because it's a bumpy ride, but it's so fun. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Laura on LinkedIn. That's Dr. Laura Cobb. And Laura, thank you again for being a guest on Walk With Me podcast. You have a great day.